On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. And they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash roadie. That's BetterHelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. You gotta find a way to not really forget the memories, but know how to deal with them. On the trolley side, just a little bit of fire left. Like the path, they clear a path. I say, holy cow, they made a path for us. If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one up each other, they're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, stories from the road. Welcome back to Stories from the Road. I'm your host, Phil Klein, and on the podcast today is Firefighter Wendy. Uh, Wendy's been with a career fire, uh, combination career fire department uh, for about four years. Uh, she's been a volunteer before that. She's worked a couple of different jobs, and she's going to talk about some of the work she's done before being a firefighter, while she was a firefighter, and then some of the work she's done as a firefighter. Uh, so, Wendy, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to have you here. Cool. I'm glad this finally uh, happened. We've got some pretty hectic schedules. <laughs> we did. We can't. What did we cancel? I think five times we've had to reschedule this. So uh, it took a minute to get you there. But uh, I'll I'll turn the mic over to you. I'll let you share your story from the road. All right. So <laughs> I had these great aspirations. Uh, I had a career prior to this as a body piercer, and it was a very good career. But I always wanted something more. Um, kind of, I, I had a hole in my heart, and I wasn't being fulfilled through the work that I was doing. So I went back to college with the aspirations to be a forensic pathologist. Uh, I was much older. I was like 31 at this point. So my brain was tired from years and years of schooling. But while I was there, they were like, why don't you take an EMT class? Because that's going to make you stand out for med school. And I was like, okay, so taking like 20 some credit hours already, let's just add this EMT class on top of it. Uh, It was a natural transition, pretty easy to do because it was kind of the stuff I was already doing. So I did well in it. Uh, once I finished the class, they were like, well, where are you going to volunteer? And I was like, what do you mean volunteer? Cause I grew up in Michigan and in Michigan, most of the fire departments, EMS are paid. There's not really a huge volunteer service, at least in the lower peninsula where I'm from. 
So uh, I lived in a city where there wasn't a volunteer company available. So I went to the next closest one and started running with them. We started doing more fire related drills. We did Stokes basket drill and I fell in love with the fire service. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. It's the coolest thing I've ever done. And this is what I want to do the rest of my life at 32. And those of you who don't know in West Virginia, the age cutoff we have here to be a career firefighter is 35. So I started testing, started trying to learn, started taking fire classes and met a lot of adversity because I am a female. And as a female volunteer, sometimes you're not taken seriously. So I made it through all that, made it through my, uh, my classes, started testing. Some things didn't go so well. Uh, I did pass one department that I never thought I would get hired at, got on their list, tried to test for another one. Some things came up and I didn't end up getting to test. So kind of gave up on it a little bit. And just when I had given up all hope that one department that I thought I'd never get hired by called me and offered me a job. So I took it <laughs> and that started everything. So, so with that department that you were hired by initially, not really the best experience for you, huh? Uh, you know, there were some great things. Like I, I'm grateful for the opportunity. The fact that a department would even hire someone like me, especially being older, a female, uh, not looking traditionally. <laughs> I did have to alter a couple things, uh, I'm heavily tattooed. I guess we'll put that out there. So I had a tattoo on my face. It was nothing offensive, but uh, that was a deal breaker. So I had to have laser treatments to have that removed in order to work there. And that's fine. I, I'm good for that because this is what I wanted to do. There was no question in my mind. I've had a lot of other career paths and a lot of other jobs, but nothing compares to the fire service. But yes, there were some things that happened. I am a very strong personality, and sometimes it's difficult for me to... Uh, I guess, know my place and be in line, especially this is really my first experience in the fire service in a paramilitary organization. I don't have any military experience. Um, I've always been kind of my own boss. So having to submit and listen to somebody else who's in charge, and especially when I feel like they're not doing what they should be, or they're not doing the right thing, or they're not making good decisions for the community, um, it's hard for me to step back. So it was a great lesson in learning how to do that and preparing me to be a better firefighter for you know, the future. So there's good things that I take away from it, but yes, there was a lot of adversity there. Um, and it wore me down mentally a hundred percent to the point that I couldn't work there anymore. I made the hardest decision after being there for two years to leave my dream job because I had no other choice. I felt so mentally defeated and so mentally wore down that I didn't want to live anymore. You know, it's interesting you say that because I talked to a lot of folks on this podcast and it's not the actual job, you know, the relationships, the interrelationships with people that they're working with that wears them down. It's the calls and the trauma and sort of the psychological aspect of the job. But in your case, you took a beating from essentially coworkers and supervisors, probably supervisors more than coworkers, but you took a beating within the job rather than the things that were going on outside of the job. Absolutely. I, um, I definitely see things a little bit differently. I always have in my life. Um, I don't know. Uh, the trauma, it doesn't wear on me in the same way it does some other folks. A lot of people feel like I've worked as a coroner and medical examiner. I still do that part time. And those sort of things don't bother me. Death has never bothered me. Tragedy has never bothered me. I, I'm just able to put it aside. A lot of people feel it's because I don't have children, especially because kids don't bother me. Uh, but the biggest thing for me is that I see it in a different light. I'm not there focused on a tragedy. I'm there for that person, whether it be as a firefighter or a coroner on their worst day to try and make things better and to give answers and to give closure. And 
to, to remedy the situation. So yeah, that's never bothered me, but the interpersonal relationships with supervisors and coworkers is the thing that's very mentally draining on me. Um, especially when you're constantly told over and over again, like nothing, nobody likes a female that speaks up and stands up for themselves and could possibly know more than them because that definitely, uh, to the cis white male (laughs) is offensive. So uh, it's difficult. It's difficult, especially in this area. Things are a little bit different. It's not as progressive as where I grew up. Um, It's not as progressive as some other bigger cities. And I'm kind of one of those people that's, I'm an outsider for sure. So it feels like a lot of stuff here is very behind the times. It's starting to catch up and don't get me wrong. I loved Wheeling. I lived here for a long, long time and there's great things about it, but there's things that are a little bit behind and yeah, the, (laughs) the interpersonal relationships were the part that wore on me, not the actual job itself. So a little different than some of the other folks that we've had on this podcast, but definitely some lessons taken away from that job experience. And by all accounts, it sounds like the department that you're with now treats you great deal of respect and really appreciates having you there. I know we were talking a minute ago and you were saying that uh, you do a lot of uh, public facing activities. Maybe you can talk about that just a little bit. Sure. Yeah. We had a whole podcast that we didn't record before this. So <laughs> <laughs> here we are. But yeah, I, uh, I am tasked with a lot of the public relations um, activities with our department and I really enjoy it. I, I have been teaching CPR and first aid on the human side and the pet side for many years. And I really enjoy that. Uh, People who take my classes will tell you I'm engaging. They like it. I became a fire instructor because I enjoy that too. But mostly my role now, I mean, besides actually being on the front line is any PR we do. Like I run our car seat installation program and I really enjoy that. That's a huge thing for the community. Uh, Any community days we do, I work very closely with our chief uh, to ensure, you know, great community exposure. We run a kids camp. I uh, just started that last year. Very much need all my coworkers for that. And my chief is heavily involved too, but there's a lot of work that goes in that. Um, and the kids loved it. We can't wait to do more. We want to do a citizens fire academy. We have a lot of things on the forefront that are coming. Anything about community involvement, uh, we, we're really into that because that seemed to be a part that was lacking. Um, we needed cohesion between the career side and the volunteer side and the community. And in the last, you know, about year that our new chief has been there, that's really started to come together and it's excellent. I want to go back to something you said just a little while ago. Well, let's talk about tattoos for a second, right? Sure. So, so I'm looking at you and I can see the tattoo on your neck and that's, <laughs> and that's fine. Um, I worked for a department that was it was a, it was a good department, uh, but there was a policy that if you had tattoos that were visible, they had to be covered up. So I didn't get tattoos until later on in life because I didn't want to wear long sleeves in the summer in Georgia because it was hot enough in short sleeves. But wearing long sleeves would have been would have been trouble. So just to get your take on it, as someone that that worked in in that area before being a firefighter and someone that is heavily heavily tattooed. What are your thoughts on policies in fire departments and police departments and really public safety agencies of no tattoos, or if you have tattoos, you've got to cover them up? I'm just curious what your take on those policies are. I mean, I'll adhere to whatever. Obviously, I got my face tattoo removed. Uh, depending on department I ended up with, because I did test for a multitude of departments between my first career department and my current one, some big cities. Uh, and they all had policies as well. And I was willing to get my neck tattoo removed because I love this job so much. It's that important to me. But my personal opinion on it is it shouldn't matter. There's large cities such as Philadelphia, Miami, Seattle. There, There's firefighters that are covered in tattoos. Their heads are tattooed. Their throats tattooed. 
what does that matter? When I'm in bunker gear coming to pull your child out or to pull your spouse out or rescue your dog, you don't know the difference. You don't know if I'm female. You don't know if I'm covered in tattoos. You don't know if I'm black, white, red, brown, yellow. It doesn't matter. Uh, especially if my skill set's up there, I, I understand that there is a, um, you know, a, a certain level of professionalism that we want to hold, but I don't know how tattoos and piercings really affect that, especially coming from that job, you know, coming from being in tattooing and piercing. We've always had people that come in and we call, you know, like hand tattoos, and neck tattoos, job stoppers. And I've experienced it. I've worked for, you know, a hospital that I wore a turtleneck the entire time. When I worked for the state as a medical examiner at the county level, I had to wear a turtleneck all summer long. So, you know, moving out to Seedon's doing heavy lifting, you know, on dead weight in a turtleneck because they wanted to keep that professional appearance and standard. But personally, you know, I wear a class B uniform at work and I don't think that, you know, you can see my neck tattoo poking out a little bit. I have some finger tattoos. Nobody has ever said a word to me. Any word that I've ever heard from a patient or somebody that we've helped that day has been positive. You know, uh, people find it to that uh, it makes me more relatable. The only people that I seem to get any flack from is, you know, the higher ups and the brass and the people who have this image, you know, what are we, hundreds of years of tradition, not impeded by change. Unimpeded by progress. Yeah, unimpeded by progress and and that what we're supposed to go for. So, yeah, I don't see what the issue is, especially now times are changing. Uh, a lot of I think of that backwards thinking, I don't even want to call it backwards thinking, but older thinking is kind of moving out. Uh, you can still be professional with tattoos. It's, I think it's all about your attitude and the way you present yourself. All right. So you said a couple of times, you alluded to the fact that you were working for the medical examiner's office. Tell me a little bit about, about that work and uh, how it relates. <laughs> well, being a medical examiner. So in West Virginia, they have a medical examiner uh, system which is a little bit different from where I work now. I work in Pennsylvania. We have a coroner system. So there's similarities and differences. You know, it's essentially the same job. Uh, Obviously, this is something I loved. I was passionate about. I wanted to become a doctor to do forensic pathology. So that was like a big thing for me. So I'd say if I wasn't in the fire service, this is probably the other industry that I would end up in. However, you know, being a medical examiner or coroner is not, you know, at least in the medical examiner system in West Virginia, it wasn't a full-time providing insurance and constant pay. It's an on-call basis. You know, some months you're making an income and some months you're not, you know, it's all based on what happens and you can't, there's no guarantee on it. But again, it's something it's relative to me. I have a real soft spot for people who are facing addiction and struggling with that. Uh, One of the first cases I had as a medical examiner was a mother. Uh, I showed up at a scene, her daughter had passed away from an overdose And I showed up on scene and EMS was there. And of course they had the attitude that a lot of people in EMS have. Oh, we've been to this house seven times and Narcan her seven times this week alone. Okay. I understand. I understand it wears on you. I get it, but there's no reason to be like that. That's still somebody's daughter. That's somebody's mother. Everybody deserves a chance. And I can tell you as a, (laughs) not from addiction, but just as a person, sometimes you got to mess up 12, 15 times before you get set on the straight and narrow. But anyway, so I had this mother and I held her in my arms and she said, I just don't understand why they can't put that stuff up her nose and bring her back again. And obviously this person had been passed away for many, many hours. They were cold at this point. They were just, she wasn't found in time. But to hold that mom and to hear that, like it just broke my heart. And especially to see how EMS sometimes treats people that are in the throes of addiction is heartbreaking. And I've always wanted to be that advocate for those folks. So that really touched me a lot. 
we were talking earlier and you said there were a couple of other stories that, uh, that you might be willing to share about some of that work. And I wonder if you would tell a couple of those. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting work for sure. Some things I can't talk about because some cases might still be open. Uh, but we had a case of a gentleman who went missing in Pittsburgh. This is before I was even an actual medical examiner. I was still in training. And we get a call to come out because there is a body in the river at Wheeling Heritage Port, like in that area. But on the island, actually, it's not a heritage port. So it's on the island. So cool. I, I get all geared up and I go out with the official medical examiner and she's doing her thing. And I'm hanging out and I look down in the river. Now, this is icy. So this gentleman had went missing from Pittsburgh sometime in November or December. And now here we are, March or April. So it's very cold. The river is iced over. It's it's nasty. <laughs> but I'm looking at what this thing that they are saying is a human that they're going to pull out. And I'm like, there is no way that that is a person. I'm like, that's a deer. There's no way. Well, lo and behold, a few minutes later, Wheeling's dive team pulls out a man, 100%. This man was so preserved because he'd been in the river for so long and so cold. I mean, you got to imagine the hundreds of miles he traveled in the river from Pittsburgh, where he went missing, to Wheeling. So he's passing through locks and dams and different things like that. His hair, you know, was missing and his clothes were missing. But otherwise than that, his body was perfectly intact. There was hardly a scratch on him. So it was wild. Uh, later on, after I became an official medical examiner for the state, this decedent's mother reached out to me to ask me questions. Now, I have no idea how she even got my phone number. I wasn't an actual part of that case. I was just there observing. So it was very strange. Um, and again, I tried to help her and give her the guidance that I could, but she was asking questions I couldn't answer. And that, again, that the whole reason I wanted to be a medical examiner or coroner is to help give those families closure. There's some things that happen. Like, I will tell you, every person that goes out and dies and dies strangely that a medical examiner has to come out. They never intended or imagined that that was the day they were going to die. All right. Well, let's talk about your your days as a firefighter. I heard uh, earlier that you uh, you made a heck of a rescue of a cat. <laughs> yeah, I guess my career highlight, you know, everybody wants to save a person. I, I do too. Uh, nobody ever wishes for fire. Nobody ever wishes for any of this stuff to happen. We, you know, just want to be, I, I always say I don't want it to happen, but I want it to happen on my shift so I can be there to help. But uh, so a family had a fire uh, down in a little city in Marshall County and everything was destroyed. Um, they unfortunately made a common mistake. They left all their doors open because they had a cat and a dog thinking that this was going to help their animals, you know, escape. A lot of people don't realize that actually feeds the fire and makes things worse. Um, and this has been a theme. Like we had another incident up where I am now where a person caught their kitchen on fire and left the door open in hopes that their cat would escape. So unfortunately, hopefully some people will learn from that. Close your doors. <laughs> There's a reason we have that, the, the whole campaign of close before you doze and closing your doors because we don't want to feed the fire. But anyway, it happened. We, we went and responded. Uh, the house was a total loss. Uh, actually, we didn't even have any inkling that there were pets in there until about an hour into the fire. And then someone said, has anybody seen a dog or a cat? So the people that were inside brought out the dog. They found their dog. Uh, I teach pet CPR first aid, so everybody knows that like I'm the person to bring them to. That's like my passion, my thing. So they brought the dog out. The dog looked real bad, but I was like, let's at least give it a chance. Uh, there was a critical care nurse there that I've worked with many times. She was there helping me. So we started a couple rounds of CPR on the dog, and we just realized that there was no hope. So unfortunately, you know, we wrapped up the dog and let the owner know. Now the fire ended, right? So we're doing overhaul. We've Put the fire out, the house is basically caved in. No sign of the cat whatsoever. So, of course, everybody hates to get called back for a rekindle because that means you didn't do your job. 
Gotcha. Small departments, not a lot of people, a lot of work to be done. We thought we had it under control. Come to work the next morning, called out to the same address. Okay, cool. Hate this. So we're back in there doing our thing, overhauling more, putting more water on it. You know, now this is in the middle of This is like November, December. So it's cold. Like the overnight had to be down like in the teens cold. So we're finishing up, getting ready to pack up. And they go, Wendy, they hear the cat. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So sure enough, I go in. They're like over by where the fire started. There's a giant hole in the floor. And I can hear the cat meowing. It's a very muffled meow, like a desperate meow. (laughs) (laughs) So I climb down in there. I take my pack off, put the tick on the side, get into the hole. And there's the cat. So I grab it by its scruff. Now I can feel that the cat's heart is beating well. So I know the cat's got a chance, right? This poor thing I pull out is burnt to a crisp. Whiskers are gone. Paws are burnt. Fur is burnt. But it's got a strong pulse since breathing. So carry the cat out like a baby. They all made fun of me for it because here I come running out with this cat because this is super important to me as an animal lover. We have our pet oxygen mask. We get the pet oxygen mask out. We get it set up get the cat on some oxygen because obviously now it's been exposed to fire. It's now been in teen degrees. So, you know, just like people, when they get burnt, they can't regulate their temperatures. So this cat has been freezing. I mean, even though it's been underneath the house with the insulation, still been exposed to the elements, but it's still got a good heartbeat. So we call the owner, let her know, give it some water, get it to the owner. She takes it to a local vet who says we can't do anything for it. And I'm like, oh, this is like breaking my heart because I'm like, they're going to take this to the vet and the vet's just going to be like, put the cat down. So thankfully, some one of her friends suggested she see uh, another local vet who's very well known out here for his charity work and just being an overall good vet and good guy. Uh, took him to that vet, and this vet did amazing work for this cat. Put him in an oxygen chamber for a week, debrided all his wounds. It was touch and go for a while, but the cat made a full recovery. The only thing that survived that fire. They lost everything. Her entire house, her entire clothing, her dog, everything. Besides their lives and this cat, that's it. And it's beautiful. She let me uh, meet the cat later on. I gave the cat catnip for the first time, which I didn't know, but <laughs> was hilarious. But um, I mean, that's very fulfilling. I know some people think, oh, it's just a cat, but it's not. For a lot of people nowadays, myself included, that's our children. That's all she has left from that fire. And for that cat to come up, <laughs> he's like my phoenix. That's what I say. You know, I've never had the red phoenix from a CPR save, but that cat made it and made a full recovery. And to me, I'm just happy for that to be a part, a small part of it. I assure you that vet had a lot more to do with it than I did. Well, even if it's a pet, everybody likes a happy ending. Right. So we, we're, we're getting to the end of this. Let me, uh, let me go in a little different direction. You're a female firefighter. You've had some adversity in your career. What do you say to the young women that are coming up behind you? Oh, this is a big one for me too. Uh, I guess I'll start, we'll, we'll start more current. So a couple of friends of mine were just featured in the newspaper as their work as female firefighters. And they are both very wonderful ladies. They're very talented, very well-trained. Uh, they are very humble and they're saying, you know, this is not history, but I disagree. It is history. Um, and I've always been that person. I don't want recognition because I'm a female. I, I get it, but this is history. And I realize it more in 2023, less than 5% of career firefighters are female. Despite all the efforts that we've put in to make the fire service more diverse, we're still at that. That's only a 1% increase in the last 10 years. That's not very good. So it is still history and it's still important. Representation is extremely important. I didn't even know females were firefighters until I was in my 20s. Like I just thought men did it. Uh, Then on my roller derby team, a girl from Detroit Fire joined. And I was like, oh, you gotta be, I didn't know women did that. 
it's representation matters so much now. And I, I really appreciate now that young women and young girls are exposed to constantly to see females, to know, you know, cause still, even when I go out on a call, it was funny. We had one the other day and I make jokes at sausage fest because it is. So we responded with mutual aid and I was the only female that responded and all the female coworkers were like, I came later in it because we were on another call and they're like, Oh, there's a female and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you go girl. You know, like people are still excited. And to me in like 2023, that shouldn't be like a shocking sight. And we know there are still uh, fire departments that have never hired a female or won't hire a female for whatever reason or do whatever things because they, I, I don't know if they see us as a threat or they think we're going to cause issues, but we're a very valuable resource, 100%. We see things from a different perspective. We handle things differently. And that's good. That's what we want in our fire service. We want diversity. We want people with different backgrounds, different experiences, because we have to handle a community of so many different people. So for the females that are coming up, uh, don't let the things get to you. You're definitely going to face adversity still. You're going to have some hurdles, but just keep going. Don't let them get you down. Work hard. Get those certifications and don't ever stop chasing your dream. I think that's great advice for the young women that want to enter the fire service. And maybe we'll be able to get that percentage up just a little bit. Any last words? Um, I don't know. This was interesting. This <laughs> first time for me. I, I Hopefully this was... Uh, interesting for people to listen to and hear it's you know i know people probably have this preconceived notion of what i look like <laughs> but uh yeah I, I i don't know you know it's uh, my life has been full of adversity from the womb until now at 40 and it'll always be that way i've just come accustomed to it we always joke that i'm like a cockroach because my resiliency is so good <laughs> uh, but there's been times where that resiliency has been low and i've had to adjust my life to to make that resiliency come back but yeah I don't know. Don't, regardless of what people say to you, um, even if you meet, like, I can't tell you how many times I've been turned down by fire departments. Like, don't give up. It's hard. It is, but just keep going for it. Well, it's the greatest job in the world, and I'm, I'm glad you were able to take some time this morning to share your experience. I, I think folks listening will uh, certainly get something out of it. I hope in the future you'll come back and share some more stories with us, maybe when you save a dog. Right. Uh, or, or maybe even when you make the grab and pull a person right. out of a fire, you'll come back on the podcast and share those stories with us. But thank you for, for being here, and thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you enjoy. Stories from the Road is a Brown Dogs Media Group production. This one-man show is written, edited, and produced by Phil Klein. Show notes are written by Jennifer Rowick. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact us at storiesfromtheroadpodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about this show, please visit storiesfromtheroadpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.